I look back at photos because I didn't think I was very feminine at all. That's what my father told me I wasn't. I was. I was very feminine. My parents didn't know what to do in 1970. I left school, didn't tell anyone because I was getting bullied at school. So I used to just jump on trains and go for a train ride. And then by the time my parents found out, mum said, you don't think you're going to sit at home doing nothing. So she marched me into Myers at Chatty and got me a job as a window dresser at Myers. So <laughs> she said, oh, I said, well, you must have known. She said, no, you were artistic. You were very artistic. My name's Ash, and I'm a proud lesbian woman, the community engagement manager at Midsummer, and currently reside on Meerwaran country. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the lands on which this podcast episode was recorded, the Jajawarung and Tangarung lands of the Kulin Nation, and pay my respect to elders past and present. I would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the various lands on which you live, work and play today, and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. We recognise the important role that art has played on these lands for thousands of years and feel privileged to work alongside artists continuing the creative practice of one of the oldest surviving cultures in the world. Always was, always will be. The episode you're about to listen to is with Samantha, a transgender woman who has been living in Bendigo since 1992. She shares some of her broad and effervescent history, including performing with lay girls and what it was like to start hormone treatment in the 1970s. This episode features some adult content, so please keep yourself safe and check for specific triggers listed in the show notes. Let's get to know Samantha. My name's Samantha Mason. Uh, I'm post-op transgender and I've lived in Bendigo for about, th- well, since 1992. Wow. Mm. And you, you were saying that you came from Well, we, we left Melbourne, came up here and we were pig farming with my husband's brother. <laughs> yeah. I didn't like it. I think I lasted about a year at the pig farm and then that's how I ended up in Bendigo. I moved from the pig farm to Bendigo. Oh, okay. And it took him about a year to come to his senses. Who, your bro- who? <laughs> My husband. Oh. We're, we're um, celebrating our 40th anniversary this year. Oh, oh. wow. <laughs> Did you meet in Melbourne? Yeah. 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 You were saying before, just before we came into the studio, you don't often get the chance to... No. Tell, no. tell your story. Well, or... I used to do shows up here. We used to have, when I came up here in the 90s, there was the Bendigo Gay Society, horrible name, but that's what it was. Um, and we used to do shows out at Newbridge, at the Newbridge Hotel on the Queen's birthday every year. And I ended up doing um, voluntary work for Country AIDS Network, which is CAN, which is just down the road here in um, Bendigo. Okay. Mm. Yeah. And how has life been for you living in Bendigo? and Well, I don't really come across, I mean, it, 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 there's a bit of transphobia at first when I first come up here and that, but I don't, I pass, so I really don't um, come across a lot of it. Um, mm. I transitioned in 1971. <laughs> wow. So, so I don't know anyone else that's been on hormones as long as I have. <laughs> I'm sure there are some out there. Yeah. Mm. I think I mean I was a window dresser at Myers to start off with, and um, I started going to the gay dances in Melbourne when I was sixteen, I think. Um, and then I ended up in a show in um, Fitzroy Street, St Kilda, when I was just before I turned eighteen. I started in a show down there, and worked in a travelling show as well. We used to come to Bendigo every month and do shows in Bendigo, and then I went 
to late girls, I was at late girls in Melbourne, 73 to 74. Um, it's going way back. Yeah. Um, I met my husband. When did I meet my husband? Mario? 83, 1983. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you would have had to, I guess, coming across people who just didn't understand no. you. All the time. So, yeah. All the time. Mm. There wasn't a lot of information around in those no. days either. Yeah. Um, that's why we had to sort of find each other. Mm. And I used to, well, I remember the first pub I used to go to, I mean, I was only 16 when I started going to the hotel, to Her Majesty's Hotel in Turek Road, Maisie's. And that's where I met my best friend who ended up in drag as well, Charlie, uh, who passed away. She passed away in 1990, killed in a car accident in 1990. Mm. Yeah. As as you were growing up, when did you sort of start questioning or exploring... I think I think when I started wearing my mother's dressing gown and slippers and thinking I was Joan Crawford walking around the lounge room. <laughs> so when you were little, yeah, yeah, yeah even sort of, or well, maybe teens more when I got to okay. my teens. Um, and I was very feminine. I look back at photos because I didn't think I was very feminine at all. That's what my father told me I wasn't. Um, and I look back at photos, I was, I was very feminine. I think um, my parents didn't know what to do in mm. 1970, that's when my mother, I, I left school, didn't tell anyone because I was getting bullied at school. So I used to just jump on trains and go go sort of for a train ride. And then by the time my parents found out, mum said, you don't think you're gonna sit at home. Um, doing nothing so she marched me into Myers at Chatty and got me a job as a window dresser at Myers so <laughs> she said oh, I said well you must have known she said no you were artistic you were very artistic did you like so, that job I loved it yeah. I loved it at Myers and that's where I met um, uh, my first transgender person who was Deborah Legay who uh, was in the original show at Lay Girls and she worked in Hong Kong with Carlotta so that's where I met Deborah, and that's a sort of introduced to the gay scene in Melbourne when I was 16. Because mm. mm. I used to call uh, Michelle and I the bopper drag. <laughs> and I used to be able to get sort of, you know, I'd borrow an outfit from the Miss shop, wear it out, oh, yes. <laughs> wear it out to the dances and yeah. pop it back in the window on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I always had the latest clothes we did, that's Michelle a, and I. Bonus, isn't mm. it? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But we used to have to go to a friend's place and get ready. Mm. Yeah. I think by the time my parents found out, I'd been on hormones for six months, and so that was a big surprise. Okay. How did they mm. respond? Um, well, I'm sure my mother knew, yeah. and I had two younger brothers, but the, I don't know about them. But my father, the first time, he, he saw me with breasts and dragged me through the house, and it was really sort of quite traumatic. Um, but then... I'd already started on, I was 17 when I started on hormones, so um, there was no going back for me. And I eventually had my change in 1986, just after I met Mario. I met Mario in 83, the end of 83, and then went through the board in Melbourne and had it done at the Queen Victoria. I picked out my surgeon and everything, Mm. checked out of some of his work. Yeah. (laughs) Very happy. Wow. (laughs) Gosh, that must have been huge for mm. you, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, I watched so many of my girlfriends. I watched a lot of the girls in the 70s went to Cairo. 
Mm. They're all going to Cairo because it was only um, $2,000 and no psychological ass- assessment or anything, which I don't know whether it was a good thing. That's why I'm glad I just sat back and watched because a lot of that, most of those girls are dead. Um, <clears throat> practically all my friends are dead. Just, I'm the only one that's sort of left. I've got a few older um, friends, girls that used to work, lay girls and things uh, in Melbourne. So I'm in touch with them still, but I don't get to see them a lot. Mm. And I don't mix with a lot of people up here because I'm actually looking after my mum at the moment. I'm, I've got my mum, she's just turned 89, so I've got her living with me. And, oh, wow. Mm. That's big. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Did your dad... Your father ever come to peace? Oh, Dad, Dad, I used to watch him. He used to watch me interacting with other people and how men interacted with me. I mean, he just couldn't. He wasn't, my dad was an only child. I don't know. He um, couldn't see it because he used to say, oh, that your girlfriend's not, this one's nice and this one. But he used to say, there's nothing feminine about you. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, that's funny. I know. <laughs> But he accepted Mario in the end. You know, mm-hmm. he was really good with Mario, accepted him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. What would you say to your teenage self? Or is there anything? Oh, like yeah. Don't worry about so much. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't stress. There's so much you're stressed about. and But it was so different in my day too mm. because all of us girls, we used to, used to sort of hang around together. A lot of the girls were... Um, worked on the streets. I ended up working on the streets in St Kilda. Um, I had to because the shows never paid enough money. I mean, we had $5 a show or something. Even Lay Girls was a bit disappointing. That was only $80 a week or something when I was there in 72, 70, 73, 74. Mm. Mm. So from there I went to Adelaide and started stripping. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> I had these big knockers. <laughs> 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 Did you enjoy uh, doing that? Work? Yeah, that was great. Yeah, I loved it so, working in Adelaide. Yeah, for a few years. Mm. Yeah, backwards and forwards to, to Melbourne. Melbourne. Mm. And what did you end up doing in Bendigo when you left the pig farm? Not a lot when I first came here. There was there was, just wasn't work. Um, for the last eleven years, I've been at the antique centre in at the Bendigo Pottery. I have a site down there. I've always collected things. Oh, so. you have your own antique. So, Business. yeah, there, well, there's about 50 dealers out there oh. but and we have to do a shift behind the mm. main counter um, once a month as well as our rent. So I've mm. been there 11 years now. Yeah. Where do you think you'd be if you hadn't found people who you could identify, you know, who you could connect with and who you could, who understood you? Dead. Yeah. Mm. I did have, I had a lot of problems with drugs um, in the 70s. And really in the 80s, I ended up in jail in um, 1982. Uh, I got I, I got picked up in Melbourne. I'd just come back from Adelaide. I got picked up in Melbourne um, for a bit of pot. <laughs> and um, then they ended up pulling in all my warrants and I got extradited. I was locked up at Pentridge for a while because I hadn't had my change. Um, that was hideous. Wow. Uh, yeah, they put me in Pentridge and then I got extradited to Adelaide. This is all for shoplifting and just minor mm. things, drug things. Um, got extradited to Adelaide, handcuffed to a policeman on the plane, so embarrassing. <laughs> and then put into Adelaide Men's Prison, so embarrassing again. 
Yeah. They ended up, I hit the papers all over Australia, I think, in 1982 when all this was happened. They were more interested in what I was wearing and what I presented like in court because I had big boobies. <laughs> they were more interested in all that, the um, papers at the time. And I got 12 months sentenced to 12 months jail. So I was already in the Adelaide Men's Prison and then they ended up sending me to Mount Gambier. Um, but they get me in isolation in Mount Gambier. I was in the women's section, but in a flat by myself. For 12 months? So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I came back to Melbourne in February 83 when I got out. I think so it was all of 82. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It hit the papers all over Australia, I think. <laughs> D- right. <laughs> it wasn't the first time. I've been on the front of truth when I was at Lay Girls anyway. So. Oh, are you? <laughs> <laughs> Mm. Wow, a bit yeah. infamous. <laughs> <laughs> also, well, Adele Bailey was one of my best friends. Adele Adele was a transsexual. It was uh, found her skeleton was found down a mine shaft in nineteen ninety five. Two guys that were rabbiting found her skeleton down a mine shaft in Bonnie June, and Adele disappeared. I remember when she disappeared because it was nineteen seventh September seventy eight when she disappeared from Grey Street in St Kilda. And then my other best friend, Jedda, who was Aboriginal transsexual, she was murdered um, from the same place where Adele disappeared from in Grey Street, this boarding house. Jedda was living there as well. And Jedda died in January 79. She was bashed, raped and thrown out of a car and took a couple of weeks to die. So so I jumped on a plane, went to Perth. Wow, <laughs> so you're right. So I could get. Oh, wow. Yeah, you must have felt scared. (laughs) Oh, yes, it was. It was pretty heavy down in St Kilda in those days, the 70s, late 70s, Mm. people being shot. Mm. (laughs) When you think back to those times, how does it make you feel? Um, well, I've been through it a lot, and mm. I, so so I, I can cope with it. Um, lots of people said that you should write a book, and the thing about writing a book is you have to revisit all these mm. things again and go through stuff. I don't know whether that's a healthy thing to actually keep going over that mm. sort of thing. I think it's it, it's healthy to go back and to 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 deal with these things or work out how you're going to deal with these things because sometimes it keeps coming back. But um, I think I've done all right. I seem to be okay. And like I said, it's 40 years with Mario this year, so... Yeah, a strong, help, yeah, relationship. Yeah, that helps. Yeah. That helps. There's an, I only know another one of my friends. She's Moni. She's been with her boyfriend for nearly 40 years as well, Mon and John. From, she's another one that used to work at Lay Girls. So there's not many of us that are sort of still around or in, in relationships. Mm. Mm. Does that, I mean, to have a, such a, a long, healthy relationship, that feels good? Yes, it's, that's, that's, well, that's one of the real big positives. Mm. And he's great with my mum as well, so, mm. so I'm very lucky. Because yeah. there's only really myself. I lost both my, both my brothers died of cancer. I was the eldest of three. Okay. Always. <laughs> so it's just you now? Yeah, there's yeah. just me and mum. Okay. Mm. Yeah. And do you think that regional towns are changing? Yes, yeah. Bendigo. Bendigo's changed. I've seen it over the 30 years that I've been here. Um, like I said, it was also cloak and dagger when I was doing, you know, um, Queen's birthday at Newbridge. I had to keep it quiet. But there were farmers in drag. God knows. <laughs> There's some shockers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a bit of fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was written about actually in a book. 
in about Adele's murder that um, when because I went to a policeman knocked on the door in 1999. I nearly fainted. I nearly collapsed because um, I hadn't hadn't had anything to do with um, police or and it was all about Adele and Adele's um, inquest, which was in 1999. But nothing. There was no decent outcome. Um, there was a policeman that was involved, but it's there's no... And, and as far as I'm concerned, there's too many circumstances. Dennis Tanner had something to do with it, and uh, but he got away with it. So, And he's written a book about it as well, about him called Black and Tanner, which was... Because he still lives in Benalla with his wife, I think. Right. Mm. But he was at the inquest at the coroner's court in 99, and then... And down there I met Andrew Rule, who did the, he was covering it, he did the um, Underbelly books and also met another woman called Robin Bowles who wrote a book about um, Adele's murder, which mm. came out sort of the end of that year. Mm. Mm. But nobody was charged, ever charged for Adele's murder. That's really sad, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Or Robin, Jeddah, my other, because she's written about in, in Dennis Tanner's book, um, Jeddah, Jeddah White was written about, and no one was ever charged for that either. So they were both, you know, 1978 and the beginning of 79, a long time ago. And they were young. Mm. Oh, yeah, the same age as me, mm. in their 20s. Yeah, yeah. very sad, mm. yeah. Mm. Mm. When did you stop doing shows? Um, oh, when I turned 50. Yeah. Last year, I think that was the last time. So 2004, Newbridge, I did, that was the last time I did Newbridge and that was sort of the end of that as well because we used to get funding for some of those shows from um, Country AIDS Network, which was what Neil sort of started down in town there. Mm. So that all, that's sort of finished and I haven't done that, but that was the last time I sort of... Oh, no, I think my birthday, I did a couple of numbers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you love it? Did you love it? I loved it. Yeah, I yeah. love working on stage. It was yeah. fabulous. Love being a showgirl. It's stunning. Mm. It's just lousy money. It's sort of improved. It's really improved now. Well, Polly Filler's in Bendigo. This um, queen from Wellington. She's fabulous. She's the best thing to happen right. in years in Bendigo. And she's working at Piano Bar regularly up here. And so there's drag shows. I never thought I'd see drag shows in Bendigo. Mm. Not regular ones like we're seeing. You know. Yeah. Mm. Do you go to those? Yeah, I've been to see Polly a couple of times. She's fabulous. Yeah. Loved it. That's awesome. <laughs> did you have, as you were growing up, did you have any sort of role models, like <clears throat> mentors? No, not no. really. Movie stars. It was mainly movies Hollywood. And then when I first, when I was working at Myers, I um, saw this picture on the front of the Women's Weekly. It was a, a supermodel of the day, Varushka, her name was. And that's when I sort of put two and two together because Deborah or Stephen, this man that I was working with, who was my senior at Myers, side on looked like Varushka. <laughs> and ended up, Deborah ended up, Deborah was um, in the original show at Lay Girls in Sydney with Carlotta in the 60s. She'd got out of drag and come to Melbourne and was selling books door to door and then ended up at, at Myers at Chadston, ended up being my senior at Myers. So it was meant to be, I think. Yeah. Mm. And Deborah said, well, it's not a life, it's not a happy life, it's not. It was all negative, everything was negative. But I still went and dragged to the pub. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have any, you know, messages for cis people? Like what? 
role they can play in making life easier for <sighs> to be open to to listening to someone's story, hearing someone's story before they judge. Mm. Really, and to be to be an ally, to be allies. I've always had girlfriends, you know, the cis women that always. So I don't really have a lot of them. I haven't had any issues with sort of not a lot of issues with people. But, yeah, just to be open to learning where someone's come from and what their story is. We're not going to get our wands out and go poof. <laughs> 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 Although, don't be so frightened. <laughs> I can tell, you know, these yes. days because I've been around so long. Yeah. I, I, and I still come across it. Not long ago, at a, a girlfriend from the pottery, her husband, so transphobic and homophobic. Just, just as soon as I met him, and I wouldn't go back there, you know. So I don't, I don't, um, let them worry me. It doesn't bother me because mm. it's not. They're not part of my life anyway. So. Yeah, it's like better off without them yeah, in real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's nice to be able to um, be acknowledged for who you are. I'm very proud of who I am, that I'm still here. You know, that's that's one of the main things. I wonder why sometimes. <laughs> um, I'm 68 and I just, yeah, I don't know, I just take each day as it comes. Tomorrow's mm. another day. I'd just like to ask one more question. What does pride mean to you? Visibility. Mm. And to be able to see people, to be able to walk around, especially a place like Bendigo, holding hands and nothing happening. No more homophobia. But it's, it's still out there. But um, yeah, it's visibility. And because it's it really, like I said, I haven't, I've always been... Uh, never part of a scene. Part of the, well, I was in the beginning, but the people were so inclusive in those days, and they looked after Michelle and I when we were young. They were always looking out for us. It's not sort of like that anymore. It's just a huge scene. It's a completely different scene. It was more intimate, you mean? Yes. Like just, yeah. Yeah, and the older ones looked after younger ones mm -hmm. and things. I don't see so much of that anymore. Mm. But I wouldn't really know no. because. Um, the life that I live, I'm not sort of involved. It's only when I really want to be. Mm. Plus I worked with, I did um, voluntary work for Country AIDS Network for seven years as well. And mm. through that I did a bit of um, telephone counselling with AIDS Line and uh, Melbourne Sexual Health. Well, thanks so much for coming in. Pleasure. And sharing. And is there Pleasure. anything else you would like to no, say or share? No, that, was, feel, that was, wasn't painful at all. Good. <laughs> that was good. Mm. Well, it was voluntary. <laughs> nice to meet you. Yeah, Helene. you too. Mm. Yeah, you too. Thank you. podcast is released every Tuesday and Friday and could not have been possible without the support of our local community partners, Midsummer and the Fair of Victoria portfolio of the Victorian State Government. Throughout the series, you will hear firsthand the successes, hopes, dreams, fears and struggles of diverse members of our community. Pridefinder, the Rainbow Road Trip was a travelling project commissioned during the 2023 Midsummer Festival as part of the State Government's initiative, Victoria's Pride. Helen Thomas, an award-winning creative audio producer, journalist and queer ally, developed a mobile story studio with the purpose of encouraging connection, cultivating empathy and preserving people's experiences. As much of Victoria's queer history relies on verbal recount, Midsummer, Helen and the Pride Finder connected with regionally living LGBTQIA Victorians to help capture their unique stories. 
These conversations are frank, honest, and reflect the language, thoughts, history, and opinions of the individual. Views may not be shared by Midsummer or the Victorian State Government. Please keep yourself safe and refer to the show notes for specific triggers related to each episode. If something in this podcast has made you feel uncomfortable or brought up challenging feelings, please seek support from a loved one or from one of the helplines listed at the bottom of the show notes. Thank you.